Welcome to the Examining Life podcast. My name is Derek Spiller, and this episode we have a special guest, Stacy Spiller, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, how are you guys? My name is Stacy. I am a senior at Buffalo State College and love my what I do there and what I'm learning. It's a great school. I am studying special education. Well, there it's called exceptional education, but I really am enjoying learning a lot about teaching. Um, when I'm finished, I will have a general education and special education degree. My concentration is urban studies, but I honestly just loved working a lot with students and kids and um, just teaching people um, things in, in general. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about me and I'm excited to be here in this podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to have you. So what do you want to talk a little bit about what your degree actually like encompasses? Yeah, so um, honestly, with special education, um, we, we learn a lot about, you know, how to behavior management, um, like working with students, which one of the things I think that drew me to education was the psychological factor of um, working with children in, in general. I mean, working with humans in general, you need psychology. Absolutely. But, but really, the the classroom setting is such an individual and, and unique situation. It changes every time that you're in the in the classroom when you have different students. Um, it depends on the children's mood or, you know, like the, the home environment that they have. And when, when you take all of these things into consideration, um, managing a classroom of up to 30 students, which is a normal classroom size, um, it's, it's a really interesting uh, atmosphere to be in. So we, we learn a lot about the behavioral management aspect, but um, I, we actually don't learn that much in, in the undergraduate about specific diseases or specific disabilities, or um, we learn like the generalization of um, different ones, but it's more um, about how to work with different types of students. Um, there's a focus on uh, differentiated instruction. So differentiated instruction and universal design for learning are two really big things that we focus on. And um, that's really, in simple terms, it's making a classroom that is um, good for every student to be in. So we're differentiating our, our instruction in an inclusive classroom. So if there's an inclusive classroom, which means that there's students with disabilities and students um, you know, without disability in the same classroom, you want to be able to have every student feel included, have, but also meet them at their level. So you want to scaffold uh, the different instruction that you're giving as a teacher to meet every student where they're at. And that is the important thing. And it's one of the reasons it's a hard job to be a teacher because doing it with 30 students yeah, is hard. I was just going to mention that. Do you think that's possible to do? And that's just say like a normal time frame that a teacher has, which is what, 40 to 45 minutes. And especially being able to cater to each of up to 30 students' needs. That's a lot to take yes, it control is. of. And I mean, the first thing, almost all of my teachers, uh, professors, start every semester with, this isn't an easy job. Like, you know, they all want you to know going in, like, this is, you know, it's an underrated job because it really is hard to to do that every day. It's mentally exhausting. It's, um, but teachers who are going into this are doing it for the passion and they want to see students lives changed which is why I'm going into it I I want to see the next generation you know flourish and raised and and um, I want to see the education system reformed as well too and I think being a teacher being in it is the first you know step to seeing that change I do think it is possible to answer your question um, to meet every student's need I think the hardest part is doing that every single day. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's absolutely really, yeah it's it's um and it's a lot on the teacher to make all these those different assignments and um because you're not you're making one assignment for students without disabilities for and students with disabilities you know really honestly it's for the whole class but then you have to cater to each student's needs so then you go back after creating that assignment and you have to differentiate it to meet every student's need and then uh teachers are overworked yes. i mean they aren't getting paid for a lot of the hours that they're putting in. Yeah. And how do you deal with, because ideally every student would do their work, mm-hmm. but we know that not every student does their work. Right. And I know that because I'm one of those students. <laughs> <laughs> and I also know that that makes it difficult for the teacher mm-hmm. to move on when not everyone is on the same page. Right. So how might a teacher deal with um, students that aren't completing all their work and trying to keep them up? I think... For me, the what I what I the first thing I would do would begin to examine why a student isn't doing work. Um, is it because they're tired? I know I was in a classroom uh, where there was um, a child who you know was stating they were up you know till five p.m. Their parents were letting them watch movies at night and was coming in exhausted, so they weren't able to actually engage in in the classroom conversation um then you also i mean that's one example but you also have students who are you know maybe not unmotivated for one reason or another and that's where i i love the psychology of it um kind of looking into the motivation of students why students would be just like unmotivated to um complete an assignment sometimes students will have complexes where they believe that they will already fail um, before yep. they do the assignment. Exactly. Learned helplessness. And so there's there's this complex within themselves that no matter what anybody does that, you know, like it's an, just like there's intrinsic motivation. There's almost, it's almost like a reverse. This isn't a real thing, but like, like intrinsic, like it's, it's like in, in them that they intrinsically believe that they're going to fail and and so um why do the work if you feel that way you know how might personality play a role in the classroom that's a great question um i think that that personality um definitely does because when you have students who are socially um you know talkative like i was um you know, you're going to see that that student is also getting other students off task and um, not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, so when you have one student um, who's, who's, uh, you know, in that classroom environment and maybe their personality is outgoing and social and talkative, uh, you know, you're going to see the other students kind of fall off as well, too, as they're bringing other students in. So as a teacher, how I would kind of combat that is first of all first thing you want to do is make sure that that one student who's talkative to all the other students is going to be able um is going to be interested in what you're teaching so kind of teaching your your teaching to that student almost making sure that that student is so engaged that they aren't going to be able to talk giving them um a time to talk teaching students um I think rules are so important in the classroom, but having students be a part of creating the rules because so that they don't feel that it's, you know, day one, I, I, I when I have my classroom, I'm going to have the rules, you know, written by all of the students. We're going to collectively talk about what is important in a classroom. And then when I go to say, oh, talking when we're supposed to talk or raising our hand, that was a rule we all created. That is our our community code, you know? So we need to make sure that we're abiding by that. It becomes not something that the teacher is enforcing, but it was a decision upon all of the students in this community. And so they feel more responsible for it. Um, and, and I think that that's important to make sure that we're holding, as a teacher, the students to the standards that um, in the class. I think you made a couple interesting points there. Um, one thing that you do notice is schools that are academically doing well, there is kind of the social, uh, I guess, awareness that everyone else is judging you based on how well you're doing. Mm. Whereas in other schools, it's actually quite the opposite. It's like if you're doing well, it's almost viewed as negative you're in a the, way. You're the nerd. You're the yeah. the smart kid. 
But I, I think in different environments with different students and different expectations, that can lead to uh, different social results. And you also made another interesting point there where do you think that like schools are too authoritarian? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, like, should there be more freedom for the students yes. or, or at least at the very least more engagement? Yes, absolutely. Instead of this um, lecture style. Uh, 100%. One of the coolest things I have learned in um, being in, in this education that I've been in is, is learning um, how education itself has in, evolved and watching education evolve into, um, you know, it, you think about the old, the old, uh, you know, movies and everything that show like the teacher coming around with the ruler, every student's at their desks and the desks are in rows. And, you know, like there's this very, the teacher's at the front. It's actually, it's got a word. It's called teacher centered, uh, teacher centered um, classrooms, like a, um, and that is, that is a very like, um, old kind of thing, but has still keep, uh, kept coming, weaving its way through into classrooms today. What we want to see, um, is student centered classrooms. Student centered classrooms are the ones that are, um, engaging the students. Um, students will feel like they, um, want to participate and be be in the conversation in these types of classrooms because their voice and opinion is heard. You think about any people group. No people group wants to be under somebody else. They're a creative classroom where you, yes, there has to be structure. That is what, very important. Students thrive on structure. Structure is important. Rules are important. A code of conduct, a, a way of behaving. Yes, very important. But as far as the learning itself goes, a student-centered classroom is the best for way for students to learn. Yeah, because our education system, at least in America, is quite archaic. Mm -hmm. And it is. It, it was originally meant for factory workers because yes. that's what the main job was at the time. So it was meant to produce them. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's why there's a bell, right? That's why you need to raise your hand to go to the bathroom mm -hmm. and all those other things. Uh, so how do you think our education system might compete with, let's just say, other countries? That's a great question. Maybe you, European countries that are uh, doing better academically. Yeah, honestly, I, I mean, I personally have not done much research outside of the American, you know, education system as I'm so focused um, in on my, my education here right now. That is something I look forward to studying more into as I really want to be able to help bridge those um, education gaps that are um, here in America. There are. We, we have an amazing, I'm in New York State. Um, Buffalo State College is, is here. It is one of the best teaching programs there is. New York is known for their education. You can take a New York education anywhere to any other state um, and it will be um, sought after. However, there is, we're getting better as a society, but there is still something missing. I, I look at when I, I was in Africa um, and I look at the education system there um, that from what I personally experienced. And I loved the hands-on experience that there was there. I think that that's something that we're getting a little bit better at, depending on what school you are here in America in. Um, I think certain teachers are amazing at this, um, and you'll see it in individual classrooms. But as a whole, we're not experiencing um, that, that hands-on, I think, that, um, that that just like community, you know, based kind of uh, education that other places are. I think that that's something we could grow in um, as a structure, as a structural change. So uh, how do you think, do you think that discipline is being done correctly or do you think that's ineffective? I think that's a great question. I think the, what I would say is I think it's happening differently in different places and, and um, at different schools you're I mean even between urban schools and suburban schools you're going to see differences and this is where we get into um you know my concentration of urban studies I I I've learned a lot about um these differences and that I mean let me say this environment is everything uh, the environment that a student walks into um in their school is going to help set their day it's going to help set 
their whole education system that year with their, their attitudes. I mean, in urban schools, you're seeing, I mean, right here in, in Buffalo, where I am, there are urban schools that have metal detectors. So every, every time a student walks in, there's already a, um, a mental check of, oh, okay, like making sure nobody's bringing in a gun or nobody's bringing in, you know, like there's this mental, there's a, it's a, it's a subtle unconsciousness of what you're walking into and, and, um, I'm not saying that those are, I know that I understand reasoning for them. Um, but why are they there? Where are they? How are we creating, um, a, a safe school environment for students, but allowing an environment where they'll flourish as well too? I mean, that was just one, you know, example that came into the top of my head, but yeah. I mean, how do you think that school shootings have played a role and the news actually bringing more attention to them, mm-hmm. which in my opinion is actually leading people to think that, Hey, maybe I'm going to get notoriety mm-hmm. yeah. off of this, which I think is wrong. But what are your opinions on it? You know, I, I mean, this is off the top of my head. I don't think I've really, really thought about that, but looking at it in this moment, I would say, yes, they, they do bring more attention to it and anything you draw more attention to it but it's also like why does the news only post the bad things that happen you know so we're getting into media in general as well too but with that said um i do think it plays a huge role that that there's more notoriety and for students who feel alone or unnoticed um i by peers i think is a big thing because you can have a a teacher I think I believe that one teacher can make a difference. I do. I do believe that um, wholeheartedly. However, I also know that there is something, there's no replacement for peer, um, you know, like, yeah. So that's kind of getting into uh, mental illness. How do you deal with someone who is uh, struggling with something that's not just, let's just say, a learning disability, but Mm -hmm. serious mental illness? How might a school actually help with that? Because I don't... I mean, guidance counselors are certainly a great start, but do you think that there's more? That could yeah. be done? I, I think I think school psychologists are uh, a huge thing, but this is this goes to what, what what community are they in? If they're in a suburban community, there's the school probably has uh, money to mm-hmm. outsource for school psychologists and things like that. But when we're looking at the urban community, um, where sometimes um, statistically there will be lower student averages, um, which I believe is due to a lot of different factors. I mean, but that could be for a different, uh, it's not, I don't think it's the students themselves. I also believe it also has a lot to do with environment, but with that said, they are lower, which means lower uh, state and federal funding for that school. Um, so even looking systemically, as I keep saying, you know, at the fact of which schools are getting, you know, the most, um, financial help and should we be adding more? I don't know. Should we be adding more money to schools that aren't doing well? Does it make more sense to give it to the, the, the schools that are doing good? And I don't, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there, you know, because, when we look at that, then we see that there's a lot of students who are struggling, particularly in the urban community there. Then why are we giving all the resources to the suburban? Yeah, absolutely. And school psychologists are a good example of why uh, funding would be really important there. Mm-hmm. Now, how might a teacher, this is pretty vague, but how might a teacher actually help with, let's just say, a situation of bullying in the classroom? Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, you know... I think every teacher in school or every um, teacher candidate who is in school and learning about all this stuff, we, we think about these things and it's, it's hard to, to realize what you would actually do until you're the teacher in the classroom. From my perspective, I would say, I, I think the first thing you have to do is motivation. I think this is why look at the student's motivation for um, doing this bullying act. Um, you know, is it attention? Is it trying to, yeah, a lot of times it's students trying to get attention from their peers. Like they, they want to be known as it's the same as the class clown, you know, they want to be seen for either being funny 
or some maybe depending on their home life want to be seen for um, being more aggressive or you know that's maybe the behavior that they've seen portrayed um, so that's how they they believe that they can get that um, get that recognition um, I, I think dealing with it is it's important to look at those motivators but also find the root and um, you have to stop it in its track um, as soon as possible and remove the the students reasoning for doing those things there's usually a cause it's yes. usually environment the people around them how they grew up yes so do you think that counseling would be a, a good option instead of just throwing them in detention or suspension absolutely because that doesn't seem to be effective in my eyes 100 percent. i think i think too often our system um that our educational system has just like given more to the students who are automatically showing like that they are intelligent or maybe good at following the system, you know, where there isn't as much praise for students who, you know, are, are working to working to get there. Cause there's this like idea you should be, you should already be there. You should get this. Everybody else is getting it. It's a, you know, we have standardized tests. If you don't meet the standard, test scores you know what I mean you're not the standard and so then these students fall off and oh go ahead what are your thoughts on standardized tests <laughs> ha 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 that is great um <laughs> I I believe there does need to be some sort of standard because you know of course how else do we do we differentiate and, and measure however even looking at curriculum, standardized curriculum across, you know, what what is in the curriculum? We're looking at standard everything in school that's standardized, right? You know, standardized testing affects the financial situation like we were talking about that goes into these schools. And you think, okay, well, of course it should, you know? Well, teachers are being fired because their students aren't performing and schools are then not receiving funding because students aren't performing. Um, I mean, you could have a fantastic teacher in there and the environment of, of, of you know, maybe what the, where the students are is, is creating a hard environment for them to flourish in. And it's just, it's hard to say that I, there needs to be a change. Do I know what that change is? No, I wanna, I wanna start that conversation. That's, that's a part of my goal. Um, to be an educator is to start those conversations because it does need to change. I, I'm not claiming to know the answer, but standardized tests, there needs to be a standard. Do you believe that teachers should be based on the performance of the students or also other factors? I think the teachers should be based partially on, of course, you know, the success rate that they're having with the students um, and but it shouldn't just be the number grade why don't we look at how much one student has improved from the last year you know why don't we look at the student improvement rate you know a lot of teaching is about data collecting data data methods um, I, a lot of my classes um, are about how to collect data on my my students through testing is only one of those one of those measures you know like why are we not using the other ones um and and behaviorally how students have grown and and you know i i think in america it's great how we we say oh yes we want to well um what's the what's the phrase the the circle circle um oh my goodness well yeah we want all students well-rounded that's yeah. it we want students to be well-rounded but then when it comes to the end of the day there's you know, a standardized test. It's focusing purely on the academics. And one thing that I think we should focus more on is the social aspect Absolutely. because we're trying to teach people to be good citizens. Mm -hmm. That's one of the major purposes of education. And in your opinion, um, and based off of what you've learned, what do you think is the point of <laughs> public education? Like, like w what are some of the reasons to have it? I am so proud of you for asking that question. I got to say, because most people don't, even think about that going into education. Um, like, what is the point of us doing this? You know, all around the world, we have people, you know, going into school 
I think here in America, as I said, it has evolved. And when we look at it, I know, you know, you said the factory. Yes, that's a huge part of it. Going even back further, it was to make good voters. And I think what you said is, you know, we want, we're a democracy and we wanted to teach people how, you know, how our, you know, how we function. We wanted to give them how to vote almost like that because it was very structured. So it was like, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Um, And then you look at, you know, how and who was left out. I think that's an important question, too. When we look at at our education history um, here in America, who was left out of that? I mean, the Indian, um, the Indians. Yeah. Where I mean, you think about the Trail of Tears and, you know, all around all of that time that we learn in our history class, you know, oh, as well as the black population. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and even today, I just have to say this, even today, is it what? Yes, we're all in schools. It's integrated. Thank God, finally. But but at the same time, we are still teaching a white curriculum I and I I have to say that because I feel like it's very important to realize it's only a European history that we're teaching where is the African history the culture and that that is very important to mention as well too the what's missing question is almost more important than where 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 we're at right now because it doesn't matter where we're at unless you know we look at what's missing yeah now, do you think that public education should be year-round, or should it have summers? Uh, that's that's a good question. I I love, as a teacher, I love the summer. Um, I, I'm going to love having those three months. You know, it's going to be great. But I do think... Um, I do think it's, it's a little long, personally. I think one month would be good. Uh, stu- kids need um, an outlet to fully you know, breathe and move and, and be a part of their space. But then we would have shorter days, um, for students because days are very, very long, um, for, especially the younger we get students are in classes from, you know, seven, eight AM till, you know, three or 4 PM. What if, what if our day was only till 12 students would have that, that time to explore the world around them more. Mm-hmm. But I also understand for parents and, and at work, you know, that this would be so it would it would be a complete structure change. Yeah. So studies have shown that, you know, over the summer, you just forget way yes. more. Yes. And that's one argument against it. But also, you know, these kids have lives. Exactly. And it's important to, uh, I think, find a balance. Yeah. Teaching, teaching kids, if we really want to teach children how to be good citizens if that is the purpose of education um you know which I would say for me I would want to I don't think I um explicitly answered that question before I believe the purpose of education to be teaching students to think critically for themselves um because that allows then the student teaching them, of course, the necessary histories and sciences and I mean, all of that included, but students need to know what to do with that information. So school should be able to not only teach us like, you know, a a long list of things, but it should teach us how, how to think about those things critically. Um, But you had another question and I missed it. (laughs) I think that's very important. Yeah. uh, From my experience, I'm a senior in high school. most of the assignments are just do this. And I think it would be more important to, and and there's very rigid answers. It's either right or it's wrong. Right. And I think we need to make an area where it's open to interpretation and you can allow students to be creative. And I I think that's one of the biggest problems that like, I just don't want to do my schoolwork because it feels kind of, rigorous like yeah. like for no reason almost something. yeah like I, I like to be creative right. I love essays mm-hmm. most students hate essays I, I'm certainly not the your average student but I love writing essays I love as long as it's um more creative yeah. 
And this is where it comes as a teacher for, important for me making assignments. I've often thought, Stacy, you need to make sure that you have choice. Yes, there are going to be certain things we need to, as teachers, prepare. There are standardized tests. Do we want them? No. We need to be able to prepare students to take one of those tests. So yes, there's going to be assignments that have to be like that. Mm -hmm. But in the assignments that don't, give the freedom, give choice. Choice um, in the classroom is one of the most amazing things you can do as a teacher to give students power over their own education. Students can succeed by doing a poster board and presentation versus, you know, writing an essay if they don't want to. I was always yep. the the poster board girl. I mean, I would I would knock Water. one of those out of the, the park, you know, like it would be 3D and everything. But then you ask me to sit down and take a, a test and I'm I'm like, you know, I it did not reflect the same grade. So giving students options in presentation and how to do it and, you know, these allow students to express their individuality as well um, and that bring their personality out. Um, and it gets them excited because they're choosing something, a part of their education, and then students are buying into their education. Do you think that schools should start at 10? Because um, based off the studies that I've seen, mm -hmm. your brain, that, that's when it actually starts. starts to work the best. And I know before that, especially with me, because I don't like to eat in the morning, which I should force myself to, but I yes. don't. Yes. When I'm staying up late, because teenagers stay up late, they get little sleep, they need to wake up early, and in my case, don't eat breakfast, and then my first class is math. Yep. It was a mess. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> so do you think you should start later? Honestly, I think the only reason we start early is because we are, you know, because of parents and, and them having to work and things like that. Do I think that, um, you know, school does start to get later and later. I don't know about everywhere in the world, but um, here in New York State where I grew up, you know, the earlier grades get on the bus at earlier. Um, so like 7, 8 um, p.m. And then as you start to get to high school, it gets a little bit later, like nine o'clock or so. Um, I, I think the system of having younger students can be up and ready to go almost more yeah. more readily. I think the older we get as a teenager, yes, it needs to be later. Um I think I think 10 if those are the studies, I haven't seen I I haven't done research into that, but I think we should go with what the research is saying and I think that's mm -hmm. one of the Im important things of looking at education is we can look at it theoretically all day long like but we need to start seeing systemic changes and, um, you know, progressing to the next the next stage of this. We've done a lot of progressing. We've went from teacher centered classrooms to student centered classrooms. I mean, that's even debatable in some some uh, in some circles. Yes. Um, and, you know, they say, well, we're moving toward it, but we're not there yet. But nonetheless, we have moved and progressed towards um, student centered classrooms where students are more creative. But we need to, you know, we need to facilitate that as as a systemic thing, not just by teacher basis, you know. And I think it's great that this is what we're learning in, in our schools and in colleges. Now, um, when we look at China, Mm -hmm. Even first graders, they're, they have more of a sense of liberty and it's encouraged by the schools for them to actually get up early, um, walk to school by themselves, they clean the school up afterwards, so they're their own janitors. Yes. And there's kind of this discipline and sense in China where you're expected to be a human that can function on your own by a young age, whereas I feel like in America, it's more coddled and you find yourself just really not appreciating that and really not viewing them as a full human right. until much later in life, whereas in first grade, you're already viewed as you should make your own breakfast, you should get up, you should do everything yourself, take the subway. Absolutely. This is, this is, um, there needs to be balance, you know, as I keep saying, you know, it's so easy to go one way or the other. Um, and I think, I think the thing that's important is that we continue to look at balance um, when we look at education. The balance between social and school, like school and education, the balance between everything. But with that said, yes, we we need to be showing students 
more of that independence, um, showing them that, that this is up to them, like, you know, and, and that they get to make their choices. And that's kind of going into this, this, the difference between authoritarian, you know, type of, um, I guess, system that we have, you know, the teacher at the front and, and this is the choices are, are the big key piece. I feel like it's the key that unlocks everything, giving students the choice. Um, and as you're saying, they get to walk to school themselves, they have to clean it up. But yes, that's expected. That's choice and independence, um, kind of going hand in hand together. And it's important to, to have those students see that choice. So I know for me, when I'm given choice, and if a teacher says, you don't need to do this assignment, mm-hmm. um, I usually find myself going out of the way, out of my way to actually do it. Whereas mm-hmm. when something's assigned, yep. I don't like feeling forced. Yes. I'm also weird and like that. <laughs> so <laughs> I like to feel like I actually have choice and liberty. So when I get that, it's uh, very important for me. And uh, another thing is I can tend to do well on a lot of those mm-hmm. open-ended um, essays and mm-hmm. assignments because I'm pretty articulate. Right. So even if I don't know what I'm talking about, if there's a little bit that yeah. I do, I can really expand upon that right. and articulate myself well. Mm-hmm. Whereas other students who kind of struggle to write, which I think is one thing we haven't taught our, taught our students well enough to write. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I've read some of my peers' papers right. and I'm just like... I need to, yeah, it it feels like they don't know how to write properly. You know, that's taught like, and and that, that goes with the creative writing, creative thinking that needs should be happening at younger ages, but continue. Yes. Yeah. So uh, basically, do you think that um, writing ability itself should be something that it's like graded on or like, even if someone's not the best at explaining themselves, you should try to find like the, the good in other aspects of the assignment. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the important things that we learn about in as being educators is um, the importance of rubrics and grading, giving students your expectation as a teacher. And I used to never look at the rubric. <laughs> Honestly, I would just write like whatever. Now I understand. I wish somebody would have explained like this is exactly what the teacher wants. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. With the freedom, like how rubrics and and the type of rubric that um, that a professor or teacher um, chooses is very important to, um, you know, saying what the assignment's about and how to do it. But with that said, I, I think we have to be able to be lenient in that way, but there has to be a standard and a way to differentiate. And I think rubrics are the best way to do that. Um, giving a student your expectations ahead of time. Can you meet this? Can you not? Within the choice, you get to choose. Do you, how do you want to present this? But this is the information I want to see. This is how I kind of want to see it presented within these parameters. Um, and and that is the importance of rubrics. And And I know it sounds like a silly answer, but I think that's the importance of, um, and I think we, we want the creative writing to come out and we, we know not all students might flourish in this area. Yeah. However, I think when something is assigned that we, we still have to be able to measure, there has to be a data collection. Um, but I think not putting the important, I think it's all about how a teacher talks and frames things as well within the classroom and the importance on not only academic in the classroom but also your social skills and 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 making it that academic isn't the end-all be-all um and 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 i think in many cultures it is um yeah and it's it's not even just american culture it's it's you know you you look at the the Asian culture, from what I've seen, um, like that's one culture that's very devoted to academics and making sure that it's very, you know, you have great grades and stuff like that. And, um, but it's, you're pretty much expected to have your life figured out from a very early age right? in a lot of those Asian countries. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, like I said, that there's this balance and, um, I don't want to sound redundant, but at the same time, like, you know, there has to be balance. Like we have to balance educational, like are we teaching students to be good citizens or even good humans? Like 
if we're only teaching them academically. Now, do you think that uh, college is generally the next step for most people? Because uh, I, in Germany, there's less of an emphasis on uh, college and more on, um, I, I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. focusing on like trades as well yeah. in, in different areas of kinds of academics um, or higher education. Absolutely. So I think that we... <laughs> I think that we do, especially nowadays, I will say, um, where people are making less money, um, especially in during a pandemic, you know, um, where we are today, you know, it's money is, is no nothing to laugh at. And it's, um, it's hard times. And when you look at how expensive a college education is, from that standpoint, I mean, I'm going to be paying, I'm going to be a teacher, I'm going to be making no money. And having to pay Not back first. thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, versus my my best friend who just graduated with her nursing degree. And during, you know, especially during this time, she can go and find a nursing job for $90,000 a year as a travel nurse. You know, um, pay off her college education in two years. You know, the, the difference of me paying it off for the rest of my life and struggling. Um, so, but let me say, with that said, I think college is an institution that needs to continue to stay important and stay, um, you know, it has to be a part of our society because education is important and we should value education and we should pay for education because we need to know the value of it. But I don't think how much we're paying for education um, is is needed and, and especially agree. not for every single person. Um, I think trade school is an amazing amazing opportunity and in app valid avenue as well too for many people for me it wasn't you know a trade school isn't going to teach me how to teach um so you know i i needed to go to school but i don't think everybody should feel pressured to go to college um and i'm going to go a little bit into the economics of it but college has actually been increasing higher than the rate of inflation which is and the correlation between it doesn't seem like the education is getting much better. Right. They're just kind of adding new departments mm-hmm. and adding useless people because they have this money <laughs> and it really doesn't seem like anything's been improved, but they're just, they keep on increasing the prices. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, I think it's because the government keeps on giving out loans, mm-hmm. Sally May to people. <laughs> and if they don't pay it's the taxpayer, right? Right. So they're not going to say no. Of course. To um, to these loans, whereas let's just say um, a bank will. Mm. They'll be like, no, you won't be able to pay this back. Right. <laughs> right. No. So I think that's one reason they can just keep increasing it, and right. they'll still be getting people who are coming in, even if they can't afford it. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, I even look at. <laughs> my my experience and i i love my family i love my mom i love every everybody um but it did feel expected you know it did feel like this is what our family does we you go to you know it's it's a western expectation whether it's explicitly said or not it's almost like you finish high school you um go to college like me wanting to take a year off to figure out what it was they're like well once you take a year off you're never going to go back and that wasn't true for me. I ended up um, going to school, failing right out of um, high school, and because I wasn't ready. And I knew that within myself, that I yep. wasn't ready. And then I ended up taking the year off because then my my mother and my family agreed, you know, like, yeah, like, we're, <laughs> we're not going to pay this, you know, amount of, you know, money for you to fail kind of thing. And um, so it, then I took the year off. I traveled the world, you know, like went to different places, um, got a life experience, came back knowing what I wanted to do. That's and, important. Um, I mean, I think we're, it's always evolving, but I had such a sense of, um, kind of like, okay, this is what I want to go into. I kind of want to do this, this area now. And I, I think I was ready. And then I came back and did not fail. And I, and then I, it felt worth what I was paying for because I yeah. also experienced other countries where people didn't have, um, you know, that. So it gave me a real appreciation for the education that I was having and it didn't feel forced. It was something I wanted because I knew that the, the rest of the world didn't have this opportunity, especially girls like me. Yeah. Now the 
college debt right now in America is one point six trillion. That's, That's huge. Crazy. Um, so I, I feel like we're going to be definitely seeing what's going to happen. Right. Uh, the results of that, because I definitely think we need to change some things. Right. Uh, especially regarding that. But I feel like our mom, right? I feel like she's gotten better about that. Because I remember I uh, had a conversation with her. And um, I was talking about, you know, most people's advice is just get a business degree. Just get a finance degree. And she said, that's the advice I gave to Stacey. <laughs> and I said, the reason why that's the exact wrong advice is because the switching majors and the dropout rate is way too high to just be throwing away that money. Right. You really have to be, you you really have to know what you're going into if you're going to go into college. Because mm -hmm. otherwise there's absolutely no reason to, because otherwise you're just going to end up with a job right. that you hate. Right. Um, you're going to hate the experience and right. you're just going to end up in debt. Unless we can cash flow, which uh, very few people can. Right. And, and, you know, I think it's just the importance of knowing, like... <laughs> you know, why would you spend that money on, on something that you're not a hundred percent sure of, or not even a hundred percent, not even like 30% sure of. Honestly, I had no idea what I wanted. I went into business that first year because that's what my mom did. And yeah. that's, um, and, and I thought, well, you can always use business like, you know, but it wasn't the right decision for me. And Believe me, I still have some of that business information. I want to start a business, which is why I also, I was like, okay, maybe I'll, but I knew accounting was not for me. Um, no. I, that was an easy one to fail for me because I, I'm not math, you know, ba you know, a based person. I can, I can help teach ki kindergartners through fifth graders math, but. Now I was talking to our cousin, Nick, mm -hmm. and he said that going to college was useless for him because everything that he could have learned for a business degree he could have learned online on yep. youtube uh just through google searches i mean obviously you need to put in effort and right. part of the importance of college is that they show you i mean pretty much everything's in the internet now right but they show you what you actually need to learn right but you can really just buy the textbooks yourself if mm -hmm. you just want the information itself and I think that's the an, an important thing, too, is to realize that we're living in a different time, a different age. And so, like, when we um, when we say, like, people didn't have another way to get that education. You know what I mean? Before, now, we can go on YouTube, and I know a little bit about everything, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do think it is, I don't want to devalue education itself um, by saying that there isn't value in going to college because I there is. I there is complete value and and you're learning from people you know who you can ask questions for who they're telling their you know real life experiences you get to know you'll make connections so there is really valuable sitting in the in the classroom in a college room I do feel like I've and it depends on the, the professor but I've I've feel like I would pay for it all over again with certain professors. Um, yeah, I think that's part of the problem too, is that professors are masters at what they do. Yes. They know what they're talking about, but most of them don't actually know how to teach. Yes. And that's yes. part of the problem. Oh, I think, um, you know, with your major, it might yes. be a little bit biased because you probably have good, good professors. Exactly. But for most people going into it, their professors have no clue what they're doing when it comes to teaching. Well, I can tell you, um, my best friend who was going to school for nursing, she said the same thing. She was like, like, these teachers know what they're talking about. These professors know what they're talking about. But none of us can, like, we don't understand what's going on in the class, like, because of the way things are presented. Like, there's, you know, and, and I think we need to be be better about teaching if somebody's going to be a professor you should take at least one teaching course you know like yeah. intro to teaching or something you know because it's you know you're you're actually putting your your students at a disadvantage by not um having any teaching experience because teaching is more than being that it, then it becomes often i will say often not always but often a teacher centered classroom where the teacher is at the front of the class lecturing all of the college students and we know that this is not always the best way to learn so then we have students who had this it's the same education that they had you know k through you know 12 and that was unproductive for them so one tough thing is that, that for high school teachers in my experience 
is the newer teachers who just recently, you know, finished college and they got a teaching job, Mm -hmm. their workload is way too difficult because they're used to college. Right. And the workload that they had there. Right. So they expect way more out of you. Absolutely. When it's a totally different environment. Right. So they kind of struggle to adapt. No, it it is. It's hard. Um, It's different expectations. And I remember, um, you know, just teachers saying that and saying, you know, even going from high school to college is just so it's it is a different expectation, which is also why um, especially high school teachers have to prepare, you know, their students for that and testing and, you know, items like that. But college really is more. They, I feel like more in my experience, more teachers do understand that that there's a different type of learning that happens there. It's more critical thinking, but that's why I think that that needs to flow over from K through twelve instead of it feeling like a completely separate experience. Yeah. Um, because it should feel like one education, no matter where you go. It should. It should be. It should be a critically. I should be taught how to critically think in kindergarten. Like you know, it should be because honestly. Why are we just teaching kids this these important life skills and like halfway through middle school, you know, trying to teach them to critically think or something? I don't know. You know, I think it needs to be a focus. Yeah. One thing that's very difficult is actually critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's overestimated how difficult it actually is because mm-hmm. our minds uh, think of it like a snowy mountain. Right. Yes. And there's a sled going down that mountain. Right. Now, at first, it's all freshly paved. Or, mm-hmm. Like, there's fresh snow over everything, so it can go anywhere. Right. But after a while, the sled starts to go in the same spot. Right. The same couple spots. That's what happens with our brains. It becomes rigid, and it's hard to think outside of the box. Absolutely. And I think, you know, of course, we have to take into consideration developmental, um, you know, building blocks for students. And so there are different, especially when we look at students with disabilities versus students without disabilities. But in general, um, I think that you can you can start teaching things, principles of of critical thinking from a young age, um, even if, you know, students aren't. Um, able to fully grasp what that is, um, I do think the pr- even the teaching of the principles of critical thinking are are important. Um, having students view their their world from a different perspective, um, and that's something you can you can do in kindergarten just by an assignment saying, okay, like let's look at th- this community versus this community. What do you see? And then that allow students to create that connection in their brain themselves you know I'm just giving the example of looking at a um, urban school versus you know um, a suburban school and students can look at or a way of living and maybe even um, America versus you know China and we can have students look at a first grader in America so themselves like they have have like a first grade this be a first grade assignment and then have them do you know guided research you know we would help guide where it is like give them books and stuff like that help them know where to look what is education like for first graders in China and then we they begin to make connections about what is um, their education experience versus other world education experiences. And then that will only grow as they get older and they'll be able to more easily make those types of connections. Now, that's actually way more difficult to do than it sounds. True. Um, yeah, because, I mean, first of all, there's a couple different um, aspects to that. First of all, there's the personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at, like, the big five, there is the openness to experience dimension. Yes. And some people, typically conservatives, tend to be very low in openness to experience. So it's hard, which is essentially the creativity right. dimension. And then, but there's also the part of IQ or intelligence, which is your fluid intelligence, which based off of everything that I've seen, it's your IQ doesn't, it's almost impossible to go up. Right. It can really only go down, right. which is kind of funny, which it normally happens throughout age and you right. know, not working out, not eating properly. So, right. yeah, it, it's, I, I, I wish it was easier to kind of teach critical thinking, but it's not easy. It's but not- I, I definitely think there's more that we can do there. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think, why are we not? I think the whole thing is 
exposure, exposing students at a younger age to these types of concepts um, at an age appropriate level. You know what I mean? So like, I'm not going to say, look at crazy power structures between the American and Chinese government in kindergarten. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just exposing, exposing kids to different cultures, period, and creating those being different building blocks for what students will learn. Is there anything that you can say about, like, let's just say how developmental, like, psychology in children affects, um, or, or like, in schools? Like, like, at what age should be people learning what, you know? Yeah, there's, I mean, there are books and books written on this by people smarter than I. Um, I, it is definitely something that we learn about, and, I mean, I could sit here and talk about that for, it would be a while. Um, maybe that'll be another, another one, but there's general, um, you know, in, in, in kindergarten and first grade, we're going to be looking at, at community and how to, how to, um, what it means to be in a community and, and, um, students understand friendships and, um, you know, they see people like adults around them in a, in a type of way that people are communicating. So they're learning how to communicate what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Um, they need to be learning the basics, the alphabet, you know, like they should know that and be, you know, because these are the building blocks for the rest of the education. And it, and it really does just grow from there. Um, and I, I do think this is, it's, it's important to consider. I, I'll just say as a blanket statement, it's important to consider that. And you can find this on the internet, honestly, um, as we were saying, YouTube on the internet, what are the developmental yeah. stages of certain, um, uh, there's different psychological um, uh, researchers um, who you guys should look up. Um, I mean, I can, you know, look for a few of those guys and maybe give you a list after. Um, you can either put it on your podcast or, you know, something like that, you know. But it's it's just important to consider those when educating. Yeah, uh, I saw this uh, or, or I read this book. I'm mm -hmm. I think it was in Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. Uh, although I could be wrong there. It was some psychology book that okay. I've read quite a few, so it's hard to keep it all together, especially with my ADD. I know. Uh, but essentially, um, children, I want to say it's around age seven, mm -hmm. they, um, they start to actually think for themselves, yes. and they're described as moral philosophers in a yes. way. Yes. Where it's not just, this is bad because I'm being punished. Yes. It's, why is this bad? Yes. It's bad because it's hurting someone else. <laughs> So they actually get to think for themselves. And I think that's something that we should encourage. 100%. I, I mean, I, I taught in a third and fourth grade classroom. Um, and I got to tell you, it was such a different experience for me um, than, of course, the, the you know, K-1. Um, even, yeah, even the second, it was very different than the second grade experience. Um, but, you know, by third, gr third grade, students, they, they begin third and fourth grade, they really begin to question. Like you said, there's a questioning that this is where critical thinking really starts to develop. And, um, and, and we so underlook this, um, and it, as parents, I feel like, um, you know, we need to be giving our, our, our children answers, you know, and let them question a little bit, you know, um, we so often just want to be like, why are they saying why to Especially me. Yes. Why are they saying why I'm done? Because it is that way. No, no, no. Allow the students or their children to, to, um, say, you know what, I'm going to give you homework on that. Can you, I want you to do the research. You're teaching. Or work students, on it together. Right. Or let's work on it together so, and create a bond between, between you and your child of that openness and understanding um, that we can find answers together, you know, um, and that's very important too, because that is a good connecting place with your child. I always say, I don't think I ever got past like the asking why phase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I got to the point where like, I'd just always be asking mom questions. Yes. Why is this the way it is? Well, why? Right. 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 And I eventually just learned to stop because I'm just right. like, <laughs> she's just getting tired of me asking. Right. Well, because it's, it's exhausting as a parent. To, it is. To, after you're coming home from work, honestly, I, I can, I understand. It's it's more than just, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's like being a teacher. It it's is. It's very similar. It's coming home from your job and being, being a teacher. And especially during this um, pandemic that we're currently, you know, in where parent, you know, parents are teaching their children from home. They, it's, it's increased. And, um, you know, I, I think that 
I'm going to do a quick side note and then we'll probably uh, have to go go and do this, you know, another time right. and, and do round two because this there's so much to talk about and we could go more in depth in some of these. But I think um, looking at online education and as that's evolving right now during this time is a huge thing to look at. And we we have a little research on online education, but there's not much, but it's about to be a bunch of data on this. And we're we're seeing the whole world um, and how they, how is this going to affect my, one of my questions is how is this going to affect um, the availability of girls in, in other countries being able to be educated? Mm-hmm. If there's an online education, their brother or sister is at home as well too with this online education. Are the girls now available to get the same education because it's happening in the household or, yeah. you know, like this opens up other avenues for where yeah, that, that's very interesting. Girls aren't even in places where girls aren't even getting education. Um, but, you know, it's it's um, I think here in, in America specifically, we're seeing stressed out parents. Um, we're seeing, you know, stressed out teachers because um, especially depending on where um, the students are located, you know, it might be an urban community where it's harder to get, um, you know, the resources necessary Um or a whole bunch of kids are in one room together. Um, uh, often, like I know, like one one family um, in my urban community, like they are having all the kids, you know, from the same family get together, and they're all doing it in the same room, which is great. But w- when you're in a classroom and you have a lot of kids, you have a teacher who's trained to do that, um, and I think it's harder for parents to structure that, and and they're just thinking about this for the first time. Many of them. So it's creating an interesting dynamic that's worth um, starting conversation about. So uh, I do have another question. Okay. Homeschooling, what we found is they tend to perform better. Better. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Oh. Why is that? <laughs> do you have any idea? Yeah. I mean, I would say um, I. it depends on who is homeschooling and the resources. Clearly. You know, I think um, when you have parents who are choosing to homeschool their kids, it's because they see the systemic issues within that way that we were talking about. And um, I think that those parents often, because they saw those systemic issues, they were the ones um, actively seeking to um, not fall into those traps kind of things like those, um, you know, different types of um, teaching styles or those different types of um, ways of, uh, te- they want to teach their, their child more student learning centered, usually where there's, um, more hands-on, they want to be involved in their students' education. And we also know small groups and one-on-one are more effective for a student's education than a large group, um, uh, education. So when you have homeschooling, I mean, I think the most I've seen is 10 to 12 kids in one household being, yeah. um, and, and that's already smaller than the, the, the some of the smallest classroom sizes that are yeah. that are um you know in, inclusive classrooms so i think it's i do want to address one other thing uh okay. before we end this off uh one thing that's really interesting um about homeschooling i feel like some of the parents who do it it's because they almost want to indoctrinate their kids into yeah. a certain way of thinking yes so public school it generally gives a pretty unbiased, yes, for the most part, well, review. Yeah, although that's certainly not true. I yeah, certainly yeah. areas I mean, areas disagreeing. That, yeah, uh, but often on, um, it exposes a, other yeah. other world point views just by being with students who possibly are from another worldview too. You know, um, I, I think I think that's often something that's lacking. Um, in the homeschooling community, and and I I I have a lot of friends who are homeschooled, but I don't have personal experience like studying this. But I have from a lot of what my friends said, you know, like you know they they loved their homeschooling education. That's why homeschool groups are there. But yeah, I mean, even in my my homeschooling friend com- friends community, it was often parents um, who were Christians trying to make sure that the Christian ideals were. Um, were held and and honestly, as a Christian woman myself, I understand that. But as a Christian woman myself, I want to make sure that my student, my student, my child, that my child is not um, only 
<laughs> following what I what I what I believe because I believe it um, because then we're doing a disservice to our child as well too because they they will never fully we can't fully believe something because you know without understanding what else is happening um, around you know in other parts of, of of say religion for example like you know if we don't understand other religions or experience other people who believe other things as soon as we are exposed to those we become so confused that um you know often about our beliefs or go the complete opposite way um and we're so so um holding tight to that that it becomes like um you know i i don't know it just becomes like this opposite type of you know, reaction. And so we, as I've said, this whole podcast balances everything. And um, so, yeah, that balance is important. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I want to do when I have kids, um, it's kind of hard to explain what I am, but essentially I'm an, an agnostic that mm-hmm. assumes God to be true, mm-hmm. right? You can't, mm-hmm. by agnostic, I mean, you can't prove that God exists, right? but I believe it's rational to believe in a God, and right. you may as well assume that one exists. Right. Um, I'm sure I will get into that and all of the philosophy behind my decision, how I came to that. It's so interesting. Especially Alvin Platanga. He, he really helped me um, come to my opinions on that. But I want to teach my kids everything. I want right. to expose them a little bit of every religion yep. and lack thereof, and let mm-hmm. them kind of decide for themselves but I'm gonna try to lay it out in a very fair way and Mm -hmm. and still explain this is what I believe right and yeah you don't have to believe it right this This is how I come to it and I think that's important as I keep saying choice as I after I I mean I was one of the children who (laughs) Christian children who actually did my homework on other religions you know, despite, you know, maybe being taught that. Um, so I, I, I wanted to know why I believed what I believed. I mean, um, and after going through all of that, I still believe what I believe. Um, and, and, and for you, it was a different process and it led you somewhere different. And I think we are the perfect example. And this is the perfect place to end because it's like, you know, you can do the same thing and, um, end up with, these different types of results with, with children or students. And, and, um, I think it's, but the whole point is the choice. Um, we were both wanting to, to, to learn something for ourselves. And so we went out and sought that because it was important for us to know. And that's what we should be doing in students' education. Yeah. All right. I think this is a good place to end. So is there any last words I'd like to say? Or are you? Thank okay? you for having me on this podcast. And um, I'm really excited to continue listening and hearing everything that all the um, amazing conversations that are had and, and debates and whatever is coming. All right. Sounds good. I will see everyone in the next episode. Bye.